0: In this episode, I feature Shannon T. Lewis, born in Toronto, Canada. She lives and works in Berlin, Germany. Shannon is an artist of Caribbean descent, who reconfigures human forms and the spaces they inhabit within her complex and vivid paintings. She begins with assemblage, the forefront of her practice, utilizing fragments of form and space. Particularly inspired by social cues of ethnicity, Whimsical aspects in the work evoke a notion of freedom by examining marginalized identities. The use of architectural elements is a recurring element, oftentimes inspired by ornate iconography. Painted and interlaced limbs reconnoiter the history of femininity and its relation to blackness. She offers a window into freedom and body politics as the figurative compositions explore surrealism haunting portraits derived from archival and personal sources. She imbues the past and the present. Shannon has exhibited in Canada, the United States, Trinidad, Switzerland, England, and Germany. She has a Bachelor of Arts from OCADU in Toronto, Canada, and a Master of Fine Arts from Goldsmiths University of London in the United Kingdom. Enjoy this episode featuring Shannon T. Lewis, Shannon, welcome to my podcast. It's great to have you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. When did you discover your artistic passion?
1: I was always drawing as a kid. Every year, my aunt, uh, for Christmas and my birthday, she would make me a handmade, hand-sewn sketchbook. So I was was always carrying it around with me. I would get commissions from my classmates to kind of draw them as archy characters. So drawing was always a big part of my life. And only eventually in high school, I had a teacher look at my drawings and say, oh, you should go to art school. And before he said that, I didn't know that art schools were an actual thing. And from that moment on, though, that was kind of my trajectory.
0: I love it when youngsters are encouraged to follow their passion. And do you recall what type of work you liked, what you were drawn to, if it was a particular painting, sculpture, or an artist? I think my first love was kind of animation,
1: but I'd always really loved the Harlem Renaissance and the Italian Renaissance. I think it was something about artists getting together, but also the community involved and the new and fresh ideas and inspiring each other. That always really appealed to me. So how would you define your practice? I would say my practice is a collage practice, even though it's primarily painting, because I'm constantly clipping images from different places and bringing them together. At its core, my work is about fragmentation and refragmentation and remembering. And so the work itself is about mobility and refragmentation.
0: Are there concepts or memories that connect your work?
1: Oh, yeah. Memory is really important to my work. Even though the images are quite contemporary, whether I'm taking them myself or clipping them from magazines, but usually a childhood memory will trigger something. For example, last year I painted this English-style couch, and it was this couch, it really resembled a couch we had growing up, and it was in this room that was only for entertaining people. We, We were not allowed to play in it, it was kept pristine, and so somehow this room was connected to the social. And so when we were allowed in it, when we had people over, I would always be on it and just touching the material and running my hands over it. And so I have this really haptic memory. So when I saw this couch, I immediately put it in an image because a lot of other Caribbean families also had the same room for entertaining and it had similar aesthetics. So somehow this object also tells a story about migration so my work is a lot about thinking about objects and the histories that they carry with them. So that's how memory really plays into
0: it. Interesting. Do you recall how your art professors impacted your approach in creating, establishing your art practice?
1: I did my master's in London at Goldsmith, and I think I found myself speaking about mobility and the performance of femininity as a black woman with all this historical background of migration. And I think it got somewhat lost in translation. And I think it's interesting because when you come from a colonized place, and I'm from two places that are former colonies in a way, I'm born in Canada and my family is from Trinidad. So it's this thing where you tend to know a lot about the colonizer, but they don't know as much about you. So I had these two really great professors when I was there. Mark Leckie and Jemima Stelly who are also practicing artists, who really got what I was doing and helped me translate. And in a way, this also helped me to see that there are whole histories that lead someone to sort of breathe the same air as you. And we don't kind of know these histories. And it helped me broaden my scope of the narrative structures that I was telling. And I was also quite lucky to be a goldsmith because they had a really great lecture series And I was there when the writer, Sarah Ahmed, was the inaugural director for the Center of Feminist Research. And I attended a few workshops that she gave that were incredible. And she's really instrumental to thinking about my practice, but also thinking about the invisible canons that existed on campus as well, too. You know, there was no syllabus, but for some reason, everyone had sort of read the same books. So it was, again, repeating this idea that, okay, well, I had read all these books, too, but... No one knew the references or the books that I was talking about. And this sort of made me think about the invisible national mythologies that we all kind of walk around with. And this became a part of my work then, too.
0: Have you ever thought about what other career path you would have chosen if you weren't an artist? I think I would have been a writer,
1: a fiction writer, because actually, along with drawing, my other Real passion growing up was reading. I loved *Babysitters Club* and *Fleet Valley High*, and I would take out ten books from the library and I would try to read them all. And I always had late fines, so I'm a big reader. And actually, Toni Morrison and Jamaica Kincaid and Jhumpa Lahiri—like these are all people that kind of inspire me in a way, maybe even more than artists. I think the thing that I'm trying to do in my practice is somehow tell a similar story or investigate these kind of positions or narratives in the world.
0: So what do you enjoy most about your practice?
1: The thing I enjoy about my practice is that I feel like I get to keep investigating myself and the world and the constant learning as being part of the work. And that's kind of what I love. And I know it's kind of a cliched answer to say it's like almost like a therapy, but it's really... Constantly investigating my own desires, my motives, who I am. And it's a possibility to consistently stay vulnerable if that's something you want to do and to stay a learner.
0: And what have you found to be the most substantial challenges that you've been confronted with as an artist?
1: I would say the biggest challenge as an artist is that there's no set path for a career or no straightforward way that there are for other professions. You can go to art school, but what do you do when that's finished? and it doesn't guarantee any trajectory, and you're kind of left to navigate it yourself, which I think is in a way exciting, but also kind of terrifying. It feels like there's a lot of risk involved.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about your work a little bit. When do you know a work is finished? I think that's something that's a bit intuitive. And it's also something
1: that's very easy to second guess. So for myself, if I think a work feels done, I'll have to physically remove it from my presence so I don't keep working on it and overworking it.
0: And what's the process of choosing the various colors that you use?
1: I think this is also really instinctive. I'll only look back later and see, oh, wow, you know, I used a lot of magenta or blue last year. And I think maybe palettes are kind of like moods to me but I'm definitely drawn to bright colors in my work. I think there's this idea when you're speaking about important topics that you have to use, quote-unquote, a sober palette, but I don't believe in that at all. I think pleasure from aesthetics is part of the politics of my work, and I also think that palettes are cultural, so creating hierarchies within them is problematic and also kind of colonial.
0: That's interesting. And when do the titles of your work enter the creative process?
1: I think I'm constantly collecting titles and writing them down while I'm thinking about the topic that I'm trying to tackle. And as I'm painting, the titles get more and more refined. But I definitely work on several works at the same time and in a series. So when I'm finished with the series, I'll kind of look at the list of the titles and see which ones match. And sometimes there's like a visual cue or a narrative cue in the language. And so I'm playing with words and maybe in a way could be describing the aesthetics or the movement or there's some kind of connection there
0: and do you listen to music while you're working yeah quite a bit (laughs) so
1: unless I really have some serious decisions to make that I'm worried about I'll be listening to music and I think again like it's usually to do with the mood of the paintings that I'm working on and so depending on if I'm working on a series for a really long time I could be listening to the same thing over and over and over again I think I listen to FK Twig's Magdalene, that album, maybe every single day in the studio for maybe a year. I mean, with other things as well, but at least once a day. So they're really like tied to the mood of the thing that I'm working on.
0: I like her music. I'm fascinated by her pole dancing <laughs> on Instagram. I know, me too. <laughs> I think about it all the time. <laughs> I got so obsessed with her that one of my daughters decided to be her for Halloween one year, you know, with the curl and the hair. But no, I love her. I love her music. I love her energy, everything. Yeah. Yeah. How do you keep learning? I'm a very big reader. So uh, whether it's
1: theory or philosophy, but also fiction is my first love. If I'm reading something, I'll also go and read the bibliography and see where they got a quote from someone and then I might buy a book that way and I can kind of get deeply obsessed in a topic and I'll again like buy too many books that I can't possibly ever read in that time space. But yeah, I'm a a big
0: reader. Mm -hmm. What are you excited about right now?
1: I just had a planning meeting for my show in Paris at Marion Ibrahim next year, and I'm very excited about that show. I think I'm really pushing the limits of the way I've installed my work in the past. I think it's going to be very site-specific, and I use diptychs a lot in my work because my work is also about the cut and fragmentation, and I'm using this in a new way for the show, so I'm quite excited to see this realized.
0: Does the location of the gallery, or where the show is going to be, does that impact the work at all, the process, thought process? I think
1: for for this show, for sure it does. There's some kind of connection for me, paris but also so as i mentioned before my family is from trinidad and it used to be a french colony at one point so there is this leftover architecture and even language and creole that exists in trinidad and i'm trying to make these connections between things that we think are native to somewhere but being replanted so this is kind of an idea that is in my work quite a bit so i really want to play with that with this Paris show
0: And when you're working, do you think about who the audience is and and wonder about whether or not they'll understand your work?
1: I don't think I do because I think I would be really paralyzed with a kind of fear if I thought about the audience at all, about getting it right, getting my point across or being misunderstood. But I do think that there's a lot of universality in my work about how much of yourself you can bring into a space and which space. And I think we're all trying to navigate this aspect of connection and community But I also think there are hidden undercurrents that mostly Black women will pick up on in my work. My first conversation I had with Marianne, she told me she knew exactly what my practice is about. And she proceeded to tell me what my practice was about and not even just the nice artist bio language, just a deep underlying what I was trying to do, what my hopes and desires are. And for me, this almost gave me goosebumps. And recently I painted something in a group show and another black woman came up to me and said, that Diana Ross's hand. (laughs) It was such a wonderful moment (laughs) where we both seen this image somewhere of this tender moment of Diana Ross's hand and registered it enough that we both carried this memory with us. And here we were now discussing it. It's like there's this particular algorithm that feels organic. So I think there's a lot in my work for a lot of people, but I definitely think the sort of hidden nuggets are definitely there for black women.
0: Yeah. The Diana Ross hand that gave me goosebumps. (laughs) (laughs) Like, whoa, that's deep. That's deep. Do you feel black art can be defined? I don't think so because I don't think blackness is very
1: monolithic. I think it can be defined by the individual black artists for themselves and it can shift at any given time and it might end up overlapping in subject or aesthetics with other black artists. But I also think this is always in flux and that's actually what I think is interesting, trying to define some amorphous borders.
0: And what does your workplace look and feel like? I think sometimes my
1: studio can kind of be a mess and overwhelming because if I'm in the middle of working out a problem I can get really involved and I lose a sense of time and I can really fixate on the work. And I also have clippings up on the wall that may be inspiring a color or a light and that's always changing. But I also have a little office next door that I can go to and sit and think and plan and play with all my clippings. And I give myself some space from the paintings itself because sometimes I just need to not look at the paintings for a while. Sometimes that's the solution.
0: And has your practice changed much over the years? Uh, Yeah. I used to do collage with
1: actual paper, and then it was paper mixed with painting, and then eventually it just became painting, but somehow still collage is an element. And I used to also print on silk chiffon. I would make digital collages and print them and then make an installation where you're using the translucency of the fabric to create different layers or narratives depending on where you're standing in the image. And I'm hoping to work more with fabric in the future. But I think underlying somehow collage and refragmentation is always there.
0: What do you enjoy most about being a visual artist? I really enjoy that you have the opportunity
1: through your work to really unpack the world and myself and just to keep learning basically. I think that's kind of like the biggest gift that you can always
0: keep working on yourself somehow through your work. Have you ever considered ceramics or sculptures? I did some sculpture in undergrad. I
1: don't think I really had a very big talent for it, but I think I'm very much drawn to the immediacy of painting. So I'm a bit impatient on stuff that takes a really long process to get to the end. But that doesn't mean that I would never do sculpture again but maybe somehow there has to be like a payoff right away for me (laughs) (laughs) to want to produce (laughs) something
0: so do you use acrylic or or oil
1: I use oil Ah. it's very slow drying and I don't work wet on wet so I'm always working on four or five paintings at a time
0: so this is the last question I've enjoyed our conversation And thanks for bringing up twigs, because that was a nice (laughs) reminder. What do you feel is the purpose of art? And as an artist, what is your role? This is a really hard question, and I
1: feel like it's one that I would change my mind about a lot. But I think right now what I feel is that at its core, art is to help us tease out the invisible or hidden structures in the world and our relationship to it. And to illuminate the multiple experiences of being human Whether it's the sacred or the profane, and how it connects us all to each other, and I'm really into astrophysics and questions like where are we, what is the universe, how did we get here. But I really think that the arts, and not just the visual arts, but big arts in general, really help us like make sense of the why of these questions.
0: Yeah, art will save us, (laughs) hopefully. Yeah, stay. Uh, March 31st yes (laughs) so much in the news headlines
1: oh you know sorry Phyllis
0: yeah I also think
1: for me my role as an artist is also to help foster empathy I think that's also what our connection is all about and and the illuminating because I think maybe that's the thing that will actually save us (laughs) is empathy more than anything
0: else yeah we need that thank goodness there's art and art <laughs> institutions. And I definitely appreciate it very much. So I've really enjoyed my time speaking with you. Thank you so much, Shannon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit cerebralwomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.